You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. If you will, as you remain standing, if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Once again, that is Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 20. I'm sorry, 21. And it reads, But that you also may know about my circumstances, how am I doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to, to the brethren, and love with, and faith, with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Let us bow. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to worship. And God, we want to be reminded, God, that you are, you are the reason why we worship, God. God, you've given us so much, God, and we're thankful for that, God. But God, right now, God, we pray that our hearts would be, would be sensitive to your word, God. God, let us be attentive, God. Let us hear the preaching, God. Let us be stirred, God, to do great works. Let us be convicted of our sins, God. Let us be encouraged as brethren in the faith, God, as we continue to walk this journey of life. And God, we know that, God, if, if we have nothing else, God, we have you. We have your love. We have your grace. We have your mercies. And we have your blessings, Lord. And we're so thankful for this, Lord. God, impart your wisdom through your, bro- through, your, um, through your servant, God, and help him to speak a word, God, that would, um, that would um, speak to us boldly, God, and give us the conviction and love and everything else, God, that we need to make it through these weeks. And God, we're thankful for everything that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question as you, you're kind of taking your seats right now. Do you have a true friend? Do you have a true friend? Do you have somebody that, um, that is kind of a confidant, somebody that you trust, somebody that you kind of, uh, you just kind of risk all? Uh, th- this is the kind of person that you just, um, you know, you, you can just bear your soul to and, and, and know that uh, they are a true friend. Do you have a true friend? Let me ask you something. Are you a true friend? You know, in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, I guess it was Solomon that said, Proverbs 17, 17, he said, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So I'm asking you a question today. Do you have a friend? Do you have somebody in your life that you can be brutally honest with and they can be brutally honest with you and and, uh, you can bear your soul to that individual? One man made this statement. He said, one of my goals in life is to wind up with eight men who are willing to carry one of my handles. You know what he was talking about? Paul Bears. I always laugh because my dad is made, he's given me clear instructions as to who is to bear his coffin when he dies. You know, that's, that's an honor that uh, you need to really think about. I don't think it's always family. In fact, when I die, outside of my sons, some of this praise team and uh, men like Steve Harper, Reggie, uh, some of the men that make up this church, some of our deacons, these are the men that I want to carry my coffin one day when I die. 
I don't care nothing about necessarily family doing it. I want men that love Jesus, and, uh, and, and that's the kind of men I want to carry the handles when I die. But listen again to his statement. One of my goals in life is to wind up with eight men who are willing to carry one of my handles. Another writer made this statement. He said, people are not looking. Listen to this, and this, this really caught me. He said, people are not looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. Isn't that good? The reality is people don't come to this church because they want it to be a friendly church. Most people are looking for friendships. They're looking for relationships. People just need one another. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about friendship and what it means to be a true friend. And Paul, Paul had a true friend. And one of those true friends was this man by the name of Tychicus. Now, I didn't just sneeze, and Reggie didn't sneeze. Uh, we've talked about how to pronounce this, and, 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 and so anyway. But Tychicus was a, was a true friend of the Apostle Paul. Now, Tychicus lived in Asia Minor. He resided in the capital here of Ephesus, and, and he was a close friend of the Apostle Paul. Now, listen, Paul was in prison. These were not good times for Paul. But I want you to know something, that even while Paul was in prison, he was about the kingdom work. And you may feel like right now that you're limited. You may feel like right now that you can't do much for God. My friend Paul did a great deal while he was in prison. Though he was confined, he wrote some great books of the Bible. He wrote Philippians, he wrote Colossians, he wrote 2 Timothy, and he wrote this book called Ephesians. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to say to his dear friend Tychicus, he's going to hand him, now think about this, he's going to hand him... The, 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 the epistle to the Colossians. He's going to hand him the letter to Timothy. He's going to hand, in fact, he hands him, he's going to hand him a letter to Philemon. And he's going to hand him this letter to the Ephesians. And he's going to say, listen, I want you to take these and I want you to carry them back to the churches. So Tychicus was a true friend to Paul, even while Paul was in prison. Now, I want you to look here today and again at verse 21 because I think, first of all, we see here a description of what I call a true friend. And Paul uses this word here. He says, Tychicus, the, did you notice the next word, the dear brother? Uh, he uses the word there. And, and Reggie, Reggie's kind of been in Greek, and Reggie did a tremendous job of walking us through the spiritual armor. And we talk about Greek sometimes. But he uses this word here, agap, um, agapetos, agapetos, and it's kind of derived from that word agape, that word for love. You remember the word agape? That word means to be selfless or sacrificial love. So it's kind of a play on that word agape, which means that, in other words, what he's saying about Tychicus is he's saying that you are a dear friend, you are close, you're valued, you're of great worth to me. Do you ever tell a friend that? Do you ever look at somebody and say, you know, I just want to thank you for your friendship? You see, sometimes what we need to do, we need to value those people that God brings into our life and see them as great worth. I think one of the struggles today among men is sometimes men are not comfortable with this. You know, we, you wouldn't necessarily say, well, he's a dear friend. And I think that in some ways, and, and let, me tell you, let me say it again, I love people, I love all people. Uh, I, I, I tell you, I, I have a heart for those in the homosexual community, and I, I long for them to know Christ. 
and I've had opportunities to minister, to counsel, but I want you to understand that I believe in our day that it seems as if men are uncomfortable today with being loving toward one another. And, and ladies, hear me. If you're married, your husband needs some godly men, some friendships in his life. And Paul had this in Tychicus. Now he says here, he uses the word dear, but he says, dear brother Adelphos. And what Paul is saying here, he is alluding to the family of God. And he's saying here, Tychicus is my brother in Christ. You know, sometimes when I introduce Steve Harper, and, and I, I think about Steve in this kind of this kind of language. When I would introduce Steve, used to when we would be running around together, I would say, this is my brother. Well, you know, I don't think they can see the family resemblance. Uh, he's African American and I'm Caucasian. But I want you to know something. If they were around us for a little while, they would see the family resemblance because we are both children of God. We are both in Christ. This is what Paul's saying here. Paul is alluding to the fact, to the fact that Tychicus is a dear brother, and he says, who is in Christ, in the Lord. He uses the word here in verse 21, if you see it. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant, and he uses a word there that just simply alludes to the fact that Tychicus is not a fair-weather friend. Let me ask you this. What do we mean when we say that somebody is a fair-weather friend. Y'all are kind of mumbling it, but I think we're all agreeing. What that, what that means is, is that this is a person who is with me or around me when things are going well. But let things begin to break down. Let things begin to go wrong in my life, and I can't find this person for nothing. Look this way. That is not a true Christian or biblical concept of friendship. That's not it. You see, what Paul was saying, Paul was saying even in prison. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, you know what Paul said? Listen to this. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul said, In my first defense, no one came to my aid, but everyone deserted me. You ever feel like that sometimes? You ever go through a crisis or a difficulty in your life and you're looking around, you can't seem to find a good friend? You see, Paul understood that. Paul valued Tychicus because there were times in Paul's life when Paul would look around and all them fair-weather friends, they'd be gone. Jesus had those kind of friends. You remember? You remember Jesus? Jesus had those kind of friends. In fact, the Bible says that when the shepherd was struck, that when you strike the shepherd, the sheep are scattered. In other words, what Jesus understood was this, that friends, true friends, don't abandon you, but he understood that. Every one of his disciples ran away. They took off. Man, they went and they hid out. You see, are you a true friend? It's not just a matter of you. And see, right now, some of us may be in this room and we're thinking, man, I don't have that kind of friendship. Boy, I wish I had that kind of friendship. Let me, let me turn it around. Are you that kind of friend? You see, a lot of times the reason we don't have those kind of friendships is because we don't understand how to be that kind of friend. Do you stay close to people when they're under fire, when they're going through difficulty? Are you there or are you a fair-weather friend? 
Paul understood it. Jesus understood it. The prodigal son understood it. The Bible said that he went away. He, he, he lived his life in riotous living. He blew all his inheritance. He had a third of the estate that had been given to him. He blew all of his inheritance. And there comes that point that he's where? Where is he when we find him, when Jesus begins to tell us how far his life has gone down? He's in a pig pen feeding pigs. Let me ask you something. Do you think he had some fair weather friends? Look this way. A lot of times that's what the world will give you. The world will give you friendships, but those friendships seem to be around you only when things are going well. Some friendships are like a tick on a dog. You know what I'm talking about. A tick gets on a dog, it just bleeds that dog, takes nutrients out of that dog. Do you have some friendships that they just take and take and take and take? They're always pulling, always receiving, but they're never giving. My friend, you and I don't want to be that kind of friendship. We don't want to be that kind of friend. Boy, it's hot in there. Is the air on? People on the website going, it's fine with me. I'm, I'm comfortable. You see, the reality is, is that you and I need to be, listen, we not only need those true friendships, we need to be that kind of friend. And so what Paul says is Tychicus is a dear brother. Look at what he says here. He is a dear brother, a faithful what? A faithful servant in the Lord. He'll tell you everything. He'll bring you up to date. Are you a faithful friend? Let me give you a test right now. Think about this for a moment. Do you keep a confidence? Are you the kind of friendship that you can keep a confidence? Or as soon as somebody discloses and shares something with you, the next thing you're doing is trying to make yourself the center of attention in a group of people, and you are disclosing or sharing a confidence about somebody that you consider to be a friend. My friend, let me say this. You'll find yourself often alone. You see, do you keep a confidence or do you like a little piece of gossip and to make yourself the center of attention? And let me ask you this, do you, and, and let me say this, if you're a gossip, it's just a matter of time before you will have no friends. People will not trust you, they will not listen to you, they won't value your word. And I'm going to tell you this, and I'm getting ready to get very personal, some of you need to get off Facebook. You are destroying this church and the cause of Christ. It is amazing to me how much garbage... Look, I took it off my phone. I couldn't take it. It's ridiculous. And I tell you, some of the members of this church have sadly disappointed me in how you behave on the Internet. You need to do us a favor and sign off Facebook and get off of it. And Facebook is not where you do your confrontation. In Matthew 18, 15 through 19, Jesus said, if you have a difference with a brother, you go to that brother and you sit down. I am sick and tired of this slinging Scripture back and forth at each other and taking shots at one another. And I'm not stupid either. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Get off the social media. Quit gossiping. And learn to hold confidences and be what Christ would have you to be. Number two is your friend. You didn't ask for that, did you? But you can thank me at the door. Number two, is your friendship strong enough? Now listen to this. Is your friendship strong enough for you to confront when you need to? Or is your friend so emotional, so codependent, 
so angry, so bitter, that you can't be honest with them and tell them truths that may affect and change their life for the better. Beyond that, can people be, can your friendships, can people be honest with you, or are you so bitter, so insecure, so um, low self-image, that you are reluctant to have people who can speak truth into your life? You see, sometimes people speak truth into my life. Now, I may not like it. In fact, I've said this in the book, Killing the Church, The Failure to Confront that a lot of times when people confront me, when people say something to me, at first I get angry, then I get hurt, but then listen, everyone look this way, then I ask myself the question, is it true? Is it true? And if it's true, then I need to take it to heart, and I need to use that information to make me a better man. You see, the Bible says as iron sharpens iron. In other words, it's the picture of you and I in essence in friendships and the camaraderie and of our intimacy, the kononia. It is the ability of each one of us to be used by God to sharpen each other, each other and to conform us into the image of Christ. Are you that kind of friend and do you have those kind of friends? Do you say to a true friend, listen, be honest and open with me. If you see something I'm doing and you feel like it is affecting my testimony and my witness, please tell me. It may hurt, it may sting, but if you love me, you can speak the truth in love. You can tell me anything you want to tell me. Do you have that kind of friendship and are you that kind of friend? Number three, do you challenge your friend or, they, or do they challenge you? You see, a true friend will not only be honest with you, and you and I need those honest voices of truth in our life. Every single person in this room, including the pastor. Look, Reggie, I was thinking about moving on and not preaching the last three verses. I kind of thought, well, you know, we've spent a lot of time in Ephesians, so we'll go ahead and and, and I said something to Sheila. I said, I just don't know what to preach. I said, I don't really know whether I ought to preach the last few verses, last three verses. Even John MacArthur didn't preach the last three, from what I heard. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I just ought to move on now. They're probably tired. And uh, Sheila kind of looked at me. And Sheila, sometimes you get a little curtness about her. She said, well, I think it's there for a reason. And it was like God was, through His Holy Spirit, was convicting me and saying, yes, there's something people need to hear there, and it needs to be preached. In fact, I was going to tease around. You know, a lot of times a a true friend will never leave you hanging. Sheila and I, we were driving yesterday, and she was in one vehicle, I was in the other. Uh, Eric Rogers, who's my hero. Eric's like a cardiologist to me. He's my hero when it comes to vehicles. And he had worked on a vehicle and got the air conditioning running, which <laughs> we're going to get you to work on this one, undoubtedly. But anyway, uh, I, I, Sheila, we'd gone to pick up the vehicle, and I was behind her, and she went across Lakeland. Well, you know, Lakeland's pretty tough. Well, I'm gonna, she goes across to the median, and I'm right behind her, and there's enough room for both of us. No, Sheila stops and has me sitting out in the middle of the two lanes of traffic. I'm sitting there thinking, Sheila, if you don't hurry up and get out, and I was talking a little bit more animated, uh, if you don't hurry up and move on, I'm going to get killed out here in these two lanes of traffic. You see, 
but the reality is a true friend won't leave you hanging. A true friend will watch your back. A true friend won't gossip. Some of you are not true friends because you, because you literally believe your friend hanging. You're a gossip and you can't hold a confidence. Number four. Well, number three, let me say this one more time. Do you challenge your friend and do they challenge you? I love Paul's word, parakaleo, I beseech. Stan, it's the picture. It's the picture. This is what a friend does. A friend gets down when you fall. A friend gets down there with you as far as you go. A friend will get down there. If you're down on the floor, a friend will get down there like this. If you're listening on the website, I'm almost laying prostrate now on the, on the platform here. A friend will get down and they'll keep looking you in the eye. Parakaleo means they're going to call you, they're going to challenge you, and they're going to say to you, you need to get back up, get back up. Let's go, let's get back up and get back on your feet. That's what it means. You see, that idea, parakaleo, is to challenge. Do you have a friend that can be brutally honest when you're feeling sorry for yourself or when you've fallen or the enemy's knocked you down? Do you have the kind of friend that'll get down there and say, look, you can't stay down, you've got to get back up. You're too valuable to the kingdom. You see, that's a true friend. Number four, can you trust your friend when you're under fire? Years ago, Matt and I went to Zimbabwe. We were visiting in this home of a family, business family. She was, um, she is African, uh, Italian-African, and and he was a white Zimbabwean. But in this home, they were talking about how bad things were getting in Zimbabwe. And at one point, this, this beautiful woman looked at us and she said, we thought the Americans would come and save us, but they didn't. A moment ago, the praise team was talking about Syria and our responsibility as a nation. And for many people, it's been amazing how quick people will say, it is not our responsibility it is not our, it's not our responsibility. It's not our job. It's not. Listen, that's what I heard out at Brandon in a suburban church when they said crime needs to stay over there in Jackson. It needs to stay over there. That's their problem. That's Hines County. That's Jackson's problem. It's not our problem. My friend, that's not the way we look at it as followers of Christ. I don't know what we need to do in Syria but I'd venture to say with a lot of people being gassed in chemical warfare and about 500 children killed, we better really think twice before we flippantly say it's not our responsibility. Years ago in this nation, a woman was raped in the parking lot of an apartment building complex. The story made national news, international news, because people lined up along the windows and watched this gang rape and murder of this woman woman, and no one bothered to get involved because they said it is not our responsibility. I don't know what Americans need to do, but I know this. We are a friend to the downcast, the broken, and those people who are persecuted and abused. 
And I have to say, though I don't agree with some of the issues, same-sex marriage, abortion with our president, I do admire his courage right now. You see, America's a true friend. Do you have that kind of friend around you? Number five, do you just have yes-men around you? People that just kind of stroke you and tell you what you want to hear. There's a beautiful moment in the life of King David when King David sees Bathsheba and he, and he turns to his servant and he's telling his servant, he says, I want you to go and get her. To go get her. And so here you, have, here you have King David, the king of Israel. He's about ready to make a moral failure and he's looking at Bathsheba and he's about ready to take another man's wife and he'll later cover that up with murder. But this servant looks at David and he said these words, Is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? Do you have yes people around you or do you have the kind of people that will look at you and speak honestly and say to you, listen, I, I, I'm going to have to tell you, that's not right. What you said is not right or what you're doing is not right or how you're behaving is not right and you shouldn't do that. Do you realize how much heartache and sorrow would be averted if you and I would watch out for one another in friendships? Are you a true friend? So Paul says here, he says, Tychicus, the dear brother, faithful servant in the Lord. A faithful servant in the Lord. He uses the word diakonos for, for servant. It's the word we get deacon. It's, it means in the dust. Tychicus served in this relationship with the apostle Paul. He was about this relationship. He was committed to this friendship in the Lord. You know, I've said marriage is two people coming together. I think a church is a body of believers coming together. But then he goes on, look at verse 22, and we'll close in a moment. He goes on to say, and I am sending him to you for this very purpose. It's not only a description of a friendship, but there's a duty here of a friendship. There's a responsibility here. Paul says in verse 22, he says to the church at Ephesus, he said, I'm sending Tychicus with this letter, with the book of Ephesians, this letter to you. But he said, I also want him to inform you and tell you how I'm doing. And him to also, he's also brought information as to how you're doing. Listen, friendships, the duty of a friendship sometimes is to keep each other up to date. Friends need to care and keep up with one another. You see, there's a responsibility. Listen, one of the great things that we're doing right now is LTGs. And I hear more people who are talking about their LTG and the camaraderie and the fellowship that they're involved in. If you're not in an LTG, call the office and we'll see what we can do to get you into one. Because we need this. Most of us live our life just simply going home, sitting down in front of the TV. We eat, we get a bath, we watch TV, we go to get bed. We get up, we go to work, we work, we come home, we get a bath, we eat, we watch TV. We, you know, we go through this cycle. We, we push away relationships and friendships. My friend, instead of realizing that the value of true friendships and pulling these people into our lives and investing into them and they in us, Paul said that he may inform. He also says that he may encourage. It's a powerful thing. He's so that you may also know how I'm doing, what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Listen, a friendship 
true friendships are those people who put courage back in us. The world and the flesh and the devil and the things of the enemy, listen, begins to deplete us of courage, taking courage from us. You and I need to learn to be an encourager. Well, you just don't know my life. You don't know how bad things are. My friend, encouraging people is a great joy. It's a great opportunity. Man, you need to walk up to people. Listen, you can say, you, listen, let me, I, you, you can test me on this. You can look at some waitress that is frazzled, that's wore out, down here at Cracker Barrel. You can look at her and say, you know what? Now, men don't do this if your wife's not with you. And better if she does it. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll look at Sheila. Sheila and I will comment and say, she's got the most beautiful eyes. Listen, Sheila will look at some wore out, frazzled waitress that looks like she's at the end of her rope, look at her, she's bringing us iced tea and saying, hey, you've got the most beautiful eyes I've seen in a long time. You, hey, look, look, here's, here's the waitress. Man, them eyes are wide open now. She, look, she's, look, she's running to that table. She, listen, she's been encouraged. You put some, you put some self-worth. You put some, you put some things back in there. You don't know that she's in an abusive marriage. You don't know that she's a single mom trying to make ends meet. You don't know that her dad never told her that she looked pretty. You don't know, but you have the opportunity to encourage and put something back into her. This is the responsibility of teachers. Teachers have the opportunity. You don't know what those kids are coming out of. And you have the opportunity to get down in their little faces and look at them and put courage back into them. You can be anything you want to be. My friend, we need that. You need those kind of friendships. You need those kind of people that when you're losing heart, when you're ready to give up, when you're ready to throw in the towel, listen, you need those kind of people that put courage back into you. There are some people, when I get around them, I'm encouraged. I'll charge hell with a water pistol. Ladies, it's something that you need to learn in the life of a man, a husband. Because sometimes a man can lose courage and he cannot believe in himself and he can get down on himself. And ladies, let me say this, it's not coddling him. It's sometimes confronting him. Sometimes a wife can be a tremendous asset in the life of her husband because she's encouraging. She's spurring him on to greatness. We celebrated the 50th anniversary of I Have a Dream sermon by Martin Luther King Jr. My friend, every single person who knew him said that he would have never been the man that he was had it not been for Coretta Scott King. That his wife made him, his wife helped to develop him to greatness. William Booth was brought by the, the denominational entities of his day, the founder of Salvation Army. They brought him uh, into, a, uh, into a, a courtroom type proceeding in his denomination. They brought him forward and sat him down and said, you are not to go in the low light areas, you're not to go in the red light areas, you're not to go where the prostitutes, where the beggars, where the homeless, where these people live. You've got to quit doing this. Do you understand, William Booth? In the back of the room, a woman stood up and said, Never! It was Catherine Booth. And they said she came down, walked down that aisle, took 
lifted her hand like they were in a wedding and her and William Booth walked out of that assembly and started the Salvation Army. You know, I thought about civil rights in this time. Steve, I was reading about Merle Evers, the wife of Medgar Evers, Alcorn graduate who met a World War II veteran by the name of Medgar and married him. And even after the death of Medgar Evers, she stood boldly as a, as a, great, uh, a great instrument for civil rights. Ladies, let me tell you this. You will never win that man by coddling him. You've got to sometimes be bold and aggressive and confrontational in his life. You spur him to greatness, and men, you do the same in the life of your wife. Don't never crawl down in the hole with a man. I wrote this down. These men were great because they had strong women who would not coddle them or conform when the world was beating them down. I love the story of Jim Elliott. When he was murdered, he and four other men were murdered down in Central America. Elizabeth Elliott with a little blonde-headed little girl went right back in there and took the gospel to the men and women, to the men who had murdered her husband and became a great instrument of God. Ladies, you push that man to greatness. There are some women like Job's wife who are the voice of the enemy. You don't want to be that. Be a true friend. If he's not conforming to the world, listen, I tell Sheila all the time, I'm going to be honest with you. I tell Sheila all the time, don't let me fail morally. Don't let me fail morally. Please don't let me. I don't want that trash in my... I don't want Showtime. I don't want Hell's Box Office. I don't want that in my home. You watch me with the internet. You do whatever you have to do. Don't let me fail. And ladies, some of you need to hold this standard up. You've got to say to the men that you're married to that you're, that you're a part of their life, you've got to say, listen, I'm not going to let you fail morally. I'm not going to let you fail in the area of pornography. I'll do what I can to help you hang on to holiness and integrity. Whatever it costs, I'm going to do it. There's been many a woman that said, you won't bring that trash into my house, get it out. Ladies, be a true friend. Thirdly, and then finally, the design of a Christian friendship. Look what he closes with. In verse 23 and 24, he says, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. He says, and this ought to be the desire of every friend, a true friend. If you're a true friend, you ought to desire that they have peace in their life. And that peace comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a friendship, and not all friendships, listen to this, look this way, not all friendships need to be in the church. How are you and I going to win people to Christ if we don't develop some friendships? Now you better make sure that you're strong and that you're walking with Christ. But my friend, you and I need to develop those friendships by which we're taking the gospel to a lost world. Lost people need Christ. And you may need to look at your friendships now at work, at school, wherever they may be, and, and ask yourself the question, is, is, this, <coughs> is this person a Christian? And if they're not, I need to do something about it. Paul said, peace to the brothers, love with faith, love with faith, that your true friends will grasp the love of God and begin to grow in faith. He says, with an undying love, persevering. Now I want you to stand.
I want you to listen to this story before we, before we pray. It's called Best Friends. It's called Best Friends. A man by the name of Earl C. Willer tells the story of two men who grew up as best friends. And this is how it goes. It said, Though Jim was just a little older than Philip and often assumed the role of leader, they did everything together. They even went to high school and college together. After college, they decided to join the Marines. By a unique series of circumstances, they were sent to Germany together where they fought side by side in one of history's ugliest wars. One sweltering day, during a fierce battle amid heavy gunfire, bombing and close quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. As the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others. Panic gripped his heart. Jim knew if Philip was not back in another minute or two, then he wouldn't make it back at all. Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go after his friend, but the officer forbade the request, saying that it would be suicide. Risking his own life, Jim disobeyed and went after Philip. His heart pounding, he ran into the gunfire, calling out for Philip. A short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the battlefield, carrying a limp body in his arms. Jim's commanding officer upbraided him, shouting that it was a foolish waste of time and an outrageous risk. Your friend is dead, he added, and there's nothing that you could have done for him. Jim replied, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time, and before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. Some of you right now are destroying your testimony because you're not a true friend. Some of you in this room need to be a true friend to somebody. Some of you in this room, and me included, not only need to be a true friend, you need to have some true friends. And you need to give them the permission to speak truth into your life. Some of you have friends that are in the world. They've drifted off into the world. You need to go after them. Look this way. I want everybody to look. Some of you in this room, you have friends, some of them that are in the body of believers that are outside God's will and they are doing enormous amounts of damage to the cause of Christ and you need to go after them. Some of you need to go after a husband. Some of you need to go after a wife. Some of you need to go after a dad. Some of you need to go after a mom. Some of you need to go after a close friend from back school days. Some of you have people in your life right now that the Holy Spirit is telling you they're out of fellowship and they are dangerously close to judgment and you need to go after them. Right now. And maybe one day, they'll look at you and say, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. 
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and, and Lord, we, we thank You, dear Lord, for this great book, Ephesians. We long one day to get to heaven and to meet the Apostle Paul, to sit down and fellowship with Tychicus, to see these great men that took the gospel to the ends of the earth. But most of all, we look forward and long to be with Jesus. Lord, we pray today that for every person in this room, that they would just take a moment, examine their life, and begin to realize that there are friendships that need to be developed. That people in this room, as well as myself, that all of us would understand that we all need true friends and we need to be true friends. Some of us in this room have friends that are dangerously close to coming under your judgment. And right now, dear Lord, their faces, their names are coming before us. Some of us need to go to somebody and say, I love you too much. I can't let you do this without saying something. Some of us in this room have hurt and done damage through gossip, through spilling the confidence. We've disappointed a friend. We've let a friend down. We've disclosed things that were said to us in confidence and it, and it hurt a friend and maybe we need to go and again say, forgive me, I'm so sorry. Some of us need to just pray and say, God, send me a dear friend. Send me a true friend. And then keep our eyes open and watch as somebody begins to come alongside of us. Father, I pray, dear Lord, for husbands and wives. I pray that wives will not just simply coddle the husbands when they're living in disobedience, but they'll be confronters. They'll be strong women of truth that they can learn from the examples of great women in the past who stood beside and made men great because they were great. Women that could not be bought. Women who would not compromise. We say celebrate uh, civil rights and, and Lord, some of these milestones in our own history. But dear Lord, there's not a one of these men that would have been great had it not been for the women that stood by them. And dear Lord, throughout history, it's been that way. Even in the scripture, Sarah followed Abraham. She called him Lord. So Father, we pray, dear Lord, today that men and women would be true friends, husbands and wives, true friends. And Father, we pray, dear Lord, that you might use this time. And Lord, even as we close this invitation, and we pray, dear Lord, that if there's one here that doesn't know you, because you're the best friend, Oh, my best friend is Jesus. That's a, great, that's a great statement. And if there's one here that doesn't know you, if they've never given their heart and their life to you, and you right now through your Holy Spirit is speaking to them, may they in this moment say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Lord Jesus, I know I've brought a lot of heartache and a lot of pain and hurt, but I know you love me and you died on the cross for my sin. Come into my heart, forgive me. Lord, live with me. Be my best friend. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that that would happen and that people would come boldly and make that public 
and say, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to come into my life. Today, Jesus is my best friend. Father, He's more than that. He's a Savior. He's Lord. So Lord, would you speak to us in the name of Jesus? Amen.